Welcome to the New Freedom Church podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. So this morning, I want to congratulate you because you made it on Squirm Sunday. Somebody said, what's Squirm Sunday? This is the Sunday that the topic might just make you squirm a little bit because I am going to be talking about three of the most uncomfortable topics that is talked about in church. Over 17 years of pastoring this local congregation, these three topics are the ones that if I could avoid them, I probably would avoid them. But since we want to proclaim the full counsel of God, today I am going to be addressing the topics of sex, money, and politics. Somebody say amen. Amen. You're excited about that, aren't you? But you're already thinking, well, you know, Pastor, I watch politics on TV, and all week long it's all about sex and money, so it's really nothing new, right? They seem to go hand in hand together. But I think that it's important as a local church that we do not simply answer questions that nobody's asking anymore. It's easy to dive into a theological message and do word studies and go into some depth about some things that may be interesting to me as a person who has studied the Bible for many years, but the culture or the things we're dealing with today, people simply may not be asking those questions anymore. And so today I want to talk about three things from the Word of God that I believe we all deal with on an ongoing basis, and it's something that we should be biblically informed on and how that God's word does truly speak to our current and everyday experiences. And God's word is still relevant for us today. I can get an amen from that, amen. Amen. Malachi 1 and 1. Uh, If you turn with me to the last book of the Hebrew Bible, you're gonna find the the book Malachi. And I wanna go through a couple of different passages in Malachi today, but the first one I wanna start with is the very first verse, and I want you to see what This says, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now, speaking to Israel would be like speaking to God's people. Israel was God's chosen people. And so uh, this is speaking to the people of God. And this was a burden on the messenger. This was something that Malachi, if he could have avoided, he likely would have avoided this topic or this series of topics that he addresses. And speaking the truth of God to a nation that was bent upon having life on their own terms was something that Malachi was facing. And I believe, and I would contend that that is something we are facing even today in our country and in our world, is that there is a truth of God that is going forth, but there is a desire of the human heart to have it my way. I want to do it my way. And so in four short chapters, we see this phrase occur 11 times, which says, yet you say... Yet you say, God is, is rehearsing for the people what they have said unto him. They, they, basically, these people have, have given to God an excuse, and they have said, well, Lord, this is how we look at it, or this is what we're going to say. They were pleading ignorance, and it probably could have worked for a time because Malachi tells us that the priests, those who were in professional positions to proclaim the word of God, had been corrupted in their own hearts, and they compromised the truth of God's word. Therefore, it was being watered down in such a way that when it got to the people, they just 
passed it off as secondhand. And so this book deals with the priests and the people of God before it ever gets out into the nation at large. Romans 10 and 14 says this, how then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? So I thank God today that we have an opportunity. We have an opportune time to hear from the word of God. For 17 years ago, this congregation made it a priority that we would proclaim the whole counsel of God. And today I want to bring to you the word of God. Yet you say, God is using the people's words against them to expose their own error. And oftentimes we'll see that God works in our lives in such a way that uh, we will maybe have one notion of something, we'll have a, a, a conviction, a, a core, uh, maybe a, a, even a, a, a value of our own heart. And then later on when that's challenged by the word of God, we can see how God uses even our own thinking to correct our thinking when his word is applied we will come to the realization that we were not in exactly the right path, but maybe we had some things on. Maybe we weren't 100% wrong, but we were just a little astray. And so we'll get back to Malachi in just a moment. I want to talk first about sex and politics. Here we go, the talk about sex. <laughs> there are more than enough opinions about sex in our day. And everyone seems to have their own philosophy and own ample advice regarding sex. In a nation, in a time where uh, we are told to just follow the science, we should just simply go with what the science says. I, I shared with you last week that science is really thinking the thoughts of God after him. <laughs> science is always uh, somehow um, improving upon its previous findings because science is based on a hypothesis and then when they can prove something, then they will write it in a textbook, they'll teach it, they'll, they'll train it. But science is all the time having these twists and turns and realizing, oh, that's how it really is. Well, God already has established and God already has told us in his word the truths of life, the basic foundations of life. And so we live in a day and age where they say, just follow the science when it comes to sex. And so therefore, a, a popular mantra in our day is that now we have uh, scientifically, apparently we have uh, found over a hundred genders that people can identify with whatever it is that they want to identify with. And yet Richard Dawkins, who is a famed biologist and ardent atheist, was interviewed just this past week. And here's what he says. He declares that Biologically speaking, there are only two sexes as a matter of science, male and female. He also added that any activists that try to discredit this reality of two biological sexes are pushing utter nonsense and they are being bullies. Richard Dawkins, hardly the poster child for a Christian conservative pastor to bring up on, on stage. And yet we see that someone actually has some reasoning, some logic, some understanding, but we as the people of God need to be compassionate with those who are truly confused, those who are truly in an identity crisis and point them according to God's word to the way, the truth, and the life. And that's not just some principle written on a page, that is a person and his name is Jesus. 
Genesis 1 and 27, God records for us that in the beginning, he created them male and female. Jesus reaffirms it in Matthew 19 and 4, according to his gospel, male and female. Now, the truth about sex is this. Sex was and is still God's idea. Sex is not something that is dirty. It's not something that we should uh, shy away from talking about. Sex is beautiful. It's amazing. It's fulfilling. And it is life-giving in every possible way when it is done according to the original design. Everybody say original design. Now, here's the problem. We as humans have an uncanny way of veering off path from the manufacturer's specifications. Now, here is what most people in America and the world today's sexual philosophy looks like. Will that work? Actually, it will. You know, a Prius actually can probably get that truck hitched onto that Prius, and it can probably get to about the entrance of that parking lot. But I would say the battery will be completely depleted it's not going to take you out on the highway. And some people scratching their heads will say, yeah, but pastor, I know what you preach, but that worked for a season. That worked for a time. But it is not within the guidelines of the manufacturer's specifications. There will be all kinds of problems, turmoil, and trouble that will come from doing sexual ethics this way. But God's original design and God's intention for sex has always been and still is, sex is between one man and one woman for a lifelong committing, loving relationship within the bonds of holy matrimony. That's the original design. All sex outside of that model, be it with opposite sex, with same sex, bisex, poly, whatever sex, will carry with it a deep dissatisfaction. Hear me empty of true fulfillment. It cannot lead to human flourishing, and ultimately, it will eventually bear the curse of being disconnected from God and from one another. That, my friends, is not my truth. That is the truth. That is God's Word. And that is all I'm going to say today about sex. <laughs> Let's move on to politics. There's a popular mantra in our days, and it's been here in our nation since really the very founding of our nation, and that is uh, that Christians should keep their faith and their values out of the public square. There is this, this notion that Christians should do church in the church house and leave the politics to the politicians. And we have come up with believing this mantra based upon a little letter that was written to the Danbury Baptist Association by none other than President Thomas Jefferson. And it has within it the phrase, the separation of church and state, the wall of separation between church and state. How many have ever heard that phrase? That's about 99% of us. We have heard the phrase, the separation between church and state. Well, let me share with you just a, a snippet of what this says. It says, believing uh, that with religion is a matter which solely lies between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions, I contemplate with sovereign rever uh, reverence 
that the act of a whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall between, of separation between church and state. Here is what the original intent of Thomas Jefferson when writing to the Danbury Baptist Association, when they were asking questions about how politically involved can we as faith people get in our government? Here's what he said. He said, the government should have no overreach into you establishing your free will of practice of worship between you and your God, that is between you and your sovereign. He was not ever saying that faith and politics should not mix. What he's saying is that the government should not stifle or staunchly create an environment where the church cannot practice its faith. And what we have been bullied to believe is that that means that faith and our values do not belong in the public square. Nothing could be further from the truth. Actually, we as informed citizens, we as believers in Jesus should be so engaged and be so up on the current uh, news and in the current goings on that we should be informed and informing our politicians, our elected leaders. We don't serve them. We put them in office there to serve the needs of the people. And the Christian message has always been deeply political. Now, I'm sorry to burst the bubble of political, political partisans in here that believe that their party is the one that is going to save America, be it left or right or in between. I'm sorry to burst somebody's bubble to tell you God is not a Republican and he's not a Democrat. God is not an independent. We should be on God's team, not trying to get him over on our team. We should be standing for the things that are of righteousness, holiness, and goodness for our nation. And if you're looking for a party or a politician to set things right in our nation, then I want to tell you today, you have misplaced trust and you will be let down. We always as Americans are faced with imperfect candidates when we go to the ballot box. And as a believer, you should go to the ballot box. And here's what I wanna say, a vote for someone does not necessarily mean that you endorse everything about that person or their party. If I had my druthers, if I had my, my dream ticket, okay, I would want the Reverend Billy Graham and Billy Sunday to run for president and vice president. But neither one of those are alive. Neither one of them are on the, gonna be on the ticket for the next election. And since we are not electing church officials, we are electing imperfect leaders for a time and a season in our country, then we as believers should be as politically knowledgeable and engaged as possible. We should know the issues. We should know the party platforms. And then we should vote based upon the best that we can with the information we're given. And sometimes our vote may be one that we write in. It may not be one that is actually listed as options on that page. And other times we may say, you know what? I have to go with this direction because it most closely aligns to what I believe would be best for our nation. But Jesus and his message, hear me, Jesus and his message was overtly political. In fact, it was so political that the Roman-dominated world of the first century 
really perked up and started listening when they heard the message that Jesus was sharing. And then when they heard the message that his disciples carried after his death, it scared them so much that they outlawed Christianity in all of the Roman provinces. Here's why. The message of Jesus was and still is very political. Here's the message of Jesus in the first century and the message of Jesus today. The message that Jesus' disciples were carrying abroad was this. Caesar is not the real king. Jesus is. And our message today is that the answers are not in the White House, in the Congress, or in Washington. The answers are in God's house and in God's book. And this is the political uh, lens by which we look through, the political lens of the word of God, that Jesus is king. People want to say that we live in a democracy. Actually, that's not true. We live in a representative republic. But we do not live in a theocracy. We don't live in in a a land that is ruled by the church. Now, some would, would wish that that would be the case, but you really don't want that to happen. You can look around the world and see those nations that are ruled by their church or by their established religion, and it is not healthy. It is not good. But in the hearts of believers, in the hearts of, of Jesus followers all around the world, we all have one sovereign. We all have one king, and it is King Jesus in charge of this entire world. So as a Christian, your allegiance is not to a party, but rather to a person. Your allegiance is to Jesus. And if you will keep that as your center point, if you'll keep Jesus as your lighthouse, then your ship will go safely into harbor. Now let's get back to Malachi. When we talk about money, there are three aspects of money that Malachi deals with in these four short chapters. It's taxes, tips, and tithes. And we've, we see this word show up in Malachi. We've seen it before, but it's more specifically addressed in Malachi, this word of tithe, which in the Hebrew means 10%. Now, if you've been in church for very long at all, if you've, you've been around uh, church circles, you probably have heard a message on tithing come out of the book of Malachi. It's, it's like one of the maybe favorite go-to areas to, to get to the 10% and where all of that comes from. But I would contend with you, and I would say to you today, that Malachi has less to do with 10% and more to do with the matter of a heart. For Jesus said that where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And Malachi was looking through a glass dimly when he was looking at how that people should honor God with their money, but Jesus came to reveal grace and truth. So let's look at this from a couple different aspects. When most people get paid, they notice that taxes, get this, are not optional. You ever notice that? Taxes are deducted before you even get your paycheck. Now, if you're self-employed, you wait until about this time of year and you've put it off and you've got about two more weeks to put it off, you're gonna have to file those taxes. You're gonna have to go and see how much that the government will levy upon your earnings. But taxes in this country are not optional. They are automatically levied and deducted. And I would say that that is is a a very valuable thing. I've been to some, some countries where taxes were optional. 
I have been to some neighborhoods in, uh, we were just there a couple months ago in Dominican Republic where the, the tour guide told us, he said, yeah, there's no property taxes. You can just build a house right here. You can hook onto the electric right over there. And there's this bare line going from this pole to that house. And the government turns it on for a few hours a day, maybe, and you get electric, but you don't pay anything for it. And I look at that and I say, you get what you pay for. Not very much. So yeah, of course we understand that taxes are necessary. The government doesn't give it to you as an option, it is necessary. You can go and you can buy gasoline today, there is taxes that are levied on that. You wanna know why gasoline is so high? Look at the fine print, you can see all the taxes that are associated with it. But then you drive on those nice roads that are paved with potholes and lead. And I don't know how they do that, but it's wonderful how they pave them with potholes. But anyway, there are reasons why that we pay taxes. Okay, it's to upkeep the maintenance and the, the standard of living that we expect in this nation. You can go to the grocery store, you're gonna pay taxes again. From the poorest to the richest, we all pay taxes. As I said uh, before, there's only two things that are certain in life, to pay taxes and to die. That's right. So Malachi addresses this in uh, verse eight, chapter one, he says, and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is that not evil? So in other words, when you offer something that's not your best, is that not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is that not evil? He says, offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with it? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? No. So in other words, what, what he's saying is, try to get one over on the government. See if the governor will take less than your best. See if the, the government will, will just excuse your indiscretion. Oh, I didn't know. You cannot plead ignorance when it comes to paying taxes. If you didn't know, you're still going to pay up. And you can't file bankruptcy on them. Like, you're always going to have to make that thing right. And so taxes are not optional in our economy. They're not optional in our nation. And they weren't even optional back in Malachi's day. They levied those on the people. So when we get paid on a payday, we have our taxes automatically deducted. And then many of us will, will go out on a Friday and a Saturday and we'll, we'll have some entertainment. We may go out and have a meal. And if we go out and we have a meal that we sit down for, there is something that is built into the, the uh, I guess, the etiquette and really the economy of going out to a sit-down dinner, and that is a tip. Now, tipping is, again, not some optional thing if they give you really good service. I remember being on vacation with the family. Our kids were littler, and I don't know, they were probably eight or nine, and we had, I mean, just a... a a horrible experience at a restaurant with service. It was bad. They were over, over uh, run. They were understaffed. They had, we had a bad experience. The food wasn't right. Nothing seemed to be right. We were actually getting to the place. It was so comical how bad that this restaurant was. And when the bill finally came, the, the kids asked the question, dad, are you going to tip her? She didn't do very good, did she? And I said, yeah, we're going to tip her. We're not going to go like the 20% are over, but we are going to tip her because there is a minimum amount that we're going to do based upon just coming into this establishment. So if you're a person that you tip whether or not they're really good, then you need to understand that God loved us before we even knew him, that God was so good and gracious to us even when we weren't very good, that there is a graciousness to tipping, that especially if you go out to a restaurant on a Sunday after church and you're wearing your new Freedom T-shirt, you better be one of the best tippers in town. And if you're not going to tip, then you need to go to the Jehovah's Witness church down the road and get one of their shirts, and then you can go to that restaurant. No, no, don't do that. But there is a minimum 
percentage that you should because they don't make an hourly wage. And so tipping is something that we should do, but it is, even according to Malachi, it's kind of like the second thing. It's not the best. You don't always give the best, but if you get great service, of course, I'm going to tip above and beyond. I'm going to show yes more for, for that. And so uh, a tip is not our best. It's just, you know, kind of the secondary. And uh, Malachi talks about this in, in verse 13. He says, uh, you also uh, say, oh, what a weariness and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. These are all tips. You bring them as an offering. Should I accept them out of your hands, says the Lord? Now, God's dealing with their heart. What are you giving to God? Just a tip. You know, it's been said the Lord loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take it from a grouch. And, and, and we'll use your tips as well. I mean, if you're not tithing, we'll use your tips. It's okay. We, we, we'll find a good place for them. But here's what God is saying at the heart of the matter. What are you investing into the house of God, into the, the relationship that you have with this faith community? And Malachi contends that all of this is backwards, that, that giving the government something that they levy first, that, that taking it off the top, all of this is backward. That is not even the process. By giving the tips to all of our luxuries and all of the things that we want to consume, there's nothing wrong with consuming things. There's nothing wrong with having material uh, gain and, and, and having nice things. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But where is the heart of the matter? And he says in uh, chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and you have not kept them. Return to me, watch this, and I will return to you, says the Lord hosts. But you say... In what way shall we return? So here's what the people are saying. Okay, Malachi, we hear your message. You're a little bit hard on the taxes and the tipping thing. Then how can we make this right? How can we return to God? Now he poses a question. And he says in verse 8, will a man rob God? How can I rob God? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you, God? How do we take advantage of you? He says, in tithes and offerings. He didn't say anything about taxes. He didn't say anything about tips. In tithes and offerings. And then look at verse 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed God, even this entire nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now with this, says the Lord of hosts. This is the only place in your Bible you will find where God says, put me to the test. Just try me. You don't believe it? Just try me. He says, try me now with this and see uh, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. What's the devourer? The, 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 it's all of these things that are stealing from us. The devourer is the evil one. But then there's also this element of devouring of you get another bill in here and you get another uh, duty over there and this thing's wearing out and you got to replace that. And so there's these, all these things devouring. I'll rebuke the devourer, God says, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed and you will, will be in a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So he talks about this word tithe, 10%. Now, I want to show you a, a quick video about an illustration of tithe. I think it's one of the best I've seen on how to understand what tithe really is. And I'll be right back. 
Well, this is where the rubber meets the road. You're paying the bills. In fact, what's in here tells more about your heart than just about anything else. Let's talk about it as intentional givers. Well, we're going to return to God what belongs to God. Scripture says this in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, a tithe. Now, what's a tithe? This is the Hebrew word ma'aser, and it means one-tenth. It means 10%. So 10% of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord. A tithe, 10%, it belongs to the Lord. Scripture says it is holy to the Lord. So how do we give the ma'aser? How do we give the tithe? Well, the Bible says in Malachi 3.10 that we are to bring the whole tithe, bring the whole ma'aser into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, scholars agree that the storehouse is the local church, that we bring 10% of what God trusts to us to the church. We give 10% to the church so there may be spiritual food and spiritual nourishment in the church for God's people. Then we give offerings above the ma'as or above the tithe to other places. We're going to return to God what is God's. But let's be real, let's be honest. The more we have, the more difficult it is to give. As strange as that sounds, it's true. For example, let's say you make uh, $10 in a year. Well, it's pretty easy to give $1 because you think, well, 10%, $1, what can I do with $1? No big deal. In fact, you might say, hey, here's two because, you know, what can you do with $2? But then let's say one year you make $10,000 and so you want to tithe off that and all of a sudden you're going, oh my gosh, I'm going to write this one thousand dollar check thousand dollars I can do something with a thousand dollars and that check gets a little bit more difficult to write well let's say though you're faithful and God really blesses you and one day your pile grows big you got a big stack and let's say you make a hundred thousand dollars that year and all of a sudden you're going ten percent of a hundred grand that's ten thousand dollars ain't no way I'm giving ten thousand dollars because as crazy as it sounds, the bigger your stack grows, the harder it is to give. It's not how to be rich, that's how to be selfish. And we're not gonna be selfish. We're gonna be intentional and return to God what belongs to God. Let's look at it this way. God will use the tithe in so many different ways in our lives. For example, a very important thing is this. God will use the tithe to teach us to put Him first. God will use the tithe to teach us to organize our life around Him. In fact, Scripture says this. The Bible says the purpose of the tithe is to teach us to put God first in our lives. The problem is most people don't. For example, let's say you've got a pie. Well, you're going to have to divvy up your pie into different places. Let's cut a piece of the pie, a big piece, and this will be your mortgage payment. Good news is you got low interest. So you put a piece of the pie right here. Then you got your car payment, pretty good piece of the pie. Good news is you look really good in your car. And then you've been shopping and so you've got some credit card bills. Got that piece of the pie. And then you've got your kids and a lot of activities. Boy, they're expensive. Little boogers, piano, soccer practice, and then you've got cable TV, 
and you've got something on yourself. And so before long, you've divvied up your pie in all these places on yourself. Wait a second, I forgot God. We've got to give something to God. And so we tend to give God our leftovers. That's not how to be rich. That's how to be selfish. What should we do though? The tithe teaches us to put God first in our lives. And what we want to do is this. We want to say the first fruit, the very beginning, it belongs to God. So we're going to take our whole pie and we're going to cut out about 10%. And say, you know what? Thank you for blessing me with this whole pie. But this isn't mine. This is yours, God. This belongs to you. God, it's my honor to worship you with 10%. All of a sudden, this teaches me to prioritize my whole life around God. I'm worshiping God with a tithe, and I'm prioritizing and arranging my life around God. The tithe teaches you to put God first. It also, the tithe, increases my faith in God. By giving to Him first, He's actually building my faith and trust in Him. I honestly believe that 90% with the blessings of God goes further than 100% without the blessings of God. 90% with his blessings goes further than 100% without. Now here's the deal. It takes faith to give to God first. To give God 10%, it takes faith to give first. If we give what's left over, it doesn't take faith at all. In fact, that's how God gave to us. The Bible says while we were still sinners, he sent Jesus. God gave by faith even before we accepted the grace of his son. The Bible teaches us to give by faith. In fact, scripture is very, very clear. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, here's what the Bible says. God says, I'm so sure of this, I want you to test me. You don't believe me? Put it to the test. Cut 10% out of your pie and give it to me, God says. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That's how good God is. The tithe, it teaches us to trust God and prioritize our life around Him. We will be intentional givers. We will intentionally return to God what's already God's. Time to eat some pie. So, I don't teach this principle as a theory. I teach this as a practice. I've been tithing since I was 15 years old. Since Holly and I have been married for 23 years, we have been tithing. And here's what I can tell you. I don't understand how that 10% can go out and yet 90% always takes care of everything else. I don't understand that really. In, in rationality and logic, I can't figure it out. But neither can I figure out how that I can walk into a room like this when it's completely dark and I can flip a switch and the lights come on. I don't understand the mechanics and the whole theory behind electricity, but I leverage it and I use it all of the time. And so here's what I, I really want to convey to you is you can be blessed financially. It can look like you're increasing without being generous but you cannot be generous without giving outside of yourself. 
You know, in, in stock trading, they call insider trading uh, something that is illegal. You're going to tip someone off to something before the market crashes. Well, in this context, I want to share with you an insider traded stock tip, and that is this works. I can testify that this works. Now, he mentioned the storehouse as being the local church. I, I, I think that in that context, in Malachi, that's, that's true there. It's talking about the temple. But there are actually a lot of places that you can give to be generous. I, in fact, I had this, this uh, lady come up to me several years ago, and, and she was really conflicted. And, and she had an offering in her hand. And she, it was after church. She said, Pastor, I really, I need some advice. I need to know what to do. I have a certain amount of money that is my tithe into the Lord this week, and I really, really like watching this television preacher. And he was telling us that if he doesn't get some money before Friday, they're probably going to shut off his program. What do I do? I want to support him. And I said, well, it's completely fine to support things outside of your local church. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But let me ask you a question. Where do you get your fellowship? Where do you get your communion? Where do you get your pastoral care? Where do you get your worship? Where do you get the primary spiritual food that you receive in a week? She said, well, well, New Freedom Church. And I said, okay, would you go through McDonald's and place an order, but then pay over at Burger King? She said, well, no. I said, well, then feed what feeds you first. Feed what feeds you. And then there will be plenty to go around for other places. There will be plenty of opportunities to give. In fact, Jesus said this, the poor we will have with us always. There's always going to be more need than there is supply. We have to be wise about how that we're going to invest our resources. Look at the promise and the provision in the passage I just read. There is a blessing that comes from this that you cannot contain, and God rebukes the devourer Nations also are blessed, and generosity is a result of your life. If the financial pundits are correct, the ones that are telling us that the world economy is headed for distressing times, then you should employ wise investment strategies. You should save up. You should make yourself ready for a calamitous day. But there's also something else that you need to protect against financial calamity, and this is the truest financial advice of all time. It's counterintuitive. It's countercultural. It does not guarantee the largest returns that modern Wall Street has, but it is a promise of the blessing of God. And the blessing of God is not always money. Sometimes the blessing of God is peace of mind, is health in your body. Sometimes the blessing of God is just knowing that you have been able to be a life-giving person for someone who is in need. Now, I hear someone saying, oh, pastor, that's old law. Malachi is old law. We're not under the law, we're under grace. And I would say, yes, you are absolutely correct. You are under grace. Tithing is not a New Testament mandate. Hear me. This, this may be controversial to some to hear. Tithing is not a New Testament mandate. You are free to do whatever you want to do. But Jesus himself endorsed tithing in the New Testament. Did you know that? Matthew 23 and 23, Jesus says this, What do you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you pay a tithe of mint and anise and cumin, all these spices, you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Look, he endorses, you ought to have done those things without leaving the others undone, blind guides who strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. 
Jesus endorses the fact that giving unto God, giving a first portion unto the Lord, that's pretty much entry-level generosity. But then there are weightier matters. There are other things that really take precedence in our life, justice, mercy, and faith. You know, of the uh, Ten Commandments, only nine of them are repeated in the New Testament. The one that is not repeated as a commandment in the New Testament is the keeping of the Sabbath. Specifically, that was not kept. We say Sabbath all the way through the New Testament, but it is not a mandate that you have to keep the Sabbath. However, I would employ to you that it is still a good practice to give your body a rest, to give your soul and your mind a time to, to catch up. The New Testament does not command husbands to be nice to their wives. It commands husbands to love their wives. But husbands, I would submit to you, it's still pretty good advice to be nice to your wife. Even though it's not mandated, it's probably still a good idea. The New Testament does not say that cleanliness is next to godliness. How many had grandma tell you cleanliness is next to godliness? You heard that. That's not mandated in scripture. It's not even Bible, really, but it's still a good idea to be clean, right? So in closing, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to start today. Now, giving is never easy, but you can take a step into the direction of generosity. And actually giving, financial giving, is an aspect of our worship unto the Lord. Now, many years ago, we stopped passing a plate down the rows. Every, every week, passing a plate. There's nothing wrong with that. I grew up that way. That's fine. But here's what I kind of concluded. And I realized there is no place in the New Testament where it tells us that we have to pass an offering plate when we gather. It does tell us that we come to worship and that we are to be generous people. And can I tell you what happened when we stopped passing the offering plate at church 10 years ago? Our tithes and offerings went up. Sure, if you pass an offering plate, you'll probably get some people that will guilt give. They'll give begrudgingly. They'll give like, oh, here it is. I, I, I'm being watched and someone, we don't want anybody having to watch you. In 17 years of being pastor of this church, I have never counted one offering in this church ever. I don't know what you specifically and individually give. That's between you and God. I don't want to know. But I do know this. I have never, ever met or known a person who professes to be generous in the giving of tithes and offerings and be a person who is broke, who is begging, who never has enough. I've never known that person. Now I've known a lot of people also that they've got a lot of money. They're never begging, they're never broke, but they're not generous. You know what? That means they're really not that blessed because blessing is way more than money. Recently, a very prominent politician in our country was running for office they were going over the, the tax returns because that's what they do when you run for office. Many times your tax returns are just public. And it was revealed that over millions of dollars of income, this person had given about 3%, estimated 3% of their gross annual income to charitable giving. Yet they have yachts and planes and multiple homes and they live a fairy tale life. But you know what? That doesn't impress me. That doesn't impress me. All of those things are fine if they're done in a generous heart. All of those things are fine, but if you're just heaping all of that on yourself, you know what, you can't take it with you. What are you doing to invest in the kingdom of God today, to further the life-giving message so someone can hear 
that this is a place of bread, that there is a redeemer who bleeds, that there is a savior who loves, that there are arms open wide, that there is a place of community fellowship and love, and you too can be part of God's grand family. So how do you take that step? We have one more short video I wanna show you before they play and I'll come back for some ending announcements. Uh, and this is how that you can get involved in a, in a small way, to take the first step today. It's digital, it's technology. There's multiple ways to give that we have here. You can still give by check or cash. You can drop it in an in a offering box in the hallway. But this is one of the ways that we have found that you can quickly and easily get online and connect with this local church and help us to move our mission forward. Let's play that video, I'll be right back. 